Welcome to Practical Christian Living. He went to a hill that is called Golgotha. We learn here it's called the place of the skull. Aramaic is Golgotha, and that's what Jesus spoke in. He spoke in Aramaic. In Latin, the word is Calvary, and that's where we get Calvary Tucson from. We are thinking of the hill that the cross stood where Jesus was crucified. The book of Hebrews chapter 12 encourages us to run our Christian race with endurance by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. If you are a child of God, you are that joy that was set before Jesus as he hung on that cross. Today on Practical Christian Living, we're in John chapter 19, verses 17 through 37, looking at the crucifixion. Here's Robert Furrow. Father, we're so blessed to be able to gather together here tonight in your name, to put our hearts and our minds on you, our God. We have been given eternity. We are aliens here on earth and our citizenship is in heaven. And we are thankful for the work of the cross that we will focus in on tonight as we take communion. And we thank you for this in the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. You can open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 19 as we continue in our Jesus appointment series. And the appointment that we have today is Jesus's appointment with the cross. We're gonna talk about what happened at the cross. Not necessarily the details of what he went through or how he died, but what actually took place there so that you and I would be able to have eternity. And there are quite a few things there that happened and it's extremely important to us. And what a good thing for us to focus on the cross right before we take communion. Jesus said, as you do this, remember me. He talked about the cross, his body being the bread, his, uh, his blood being the wine, and that we were to take the new covenant of his love. And so we're gonna talk about the cross and then we're gonna take communion together. First of all, if you're visiting here with us tonight for the very first time, we're really glad you're here. We hope that you are blessed by the time that we have spent praising his name, lifting him up and worshiping him, and that you are blessed by the time we spend in the word of God, worshiping him as well, and looking for direction from the scriptures because we want God to move in our lives that way. And uh, we also want to welcome those of you that are watching online. Uh, we hope that this is a real encouragement for you. And we believe that we are gathering together with you in spirit. We believe that as we're here, this is a live service. God is there. He's with you. He's speaking with you. He's working with us. And you are a part of this service. And may God speak to you right where you are. And we also want to welcome those of you that are listening now on Reach Radio. You may have just tuned in, not really know what you're listening to. You're listening to our midweek service at Calvary Tucson. And we are going to talk about the cross. All right. So with your Bible, Bibles opened up to John chapter 19, we'll be covering verses 17 through 37 today as we talk about what happened on the cross. Let's pray and we'll begin. Father, thank you so much for the richness of your word. Thank you for the manuscripts that we have by which we can get our Bible translations from, that we are able to study and really dive into what your word is saying and what these things really mean And we pray that you would speak to us, 
that you would give us clarity when it comes to the cross and the work of the cross. Lord, the cross really is precious to us. It is a sign to us of what you have done for us. And we thank you that we are able to have that sign. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Today we're going to be talking about the cross, what happened at the cross, and we're not necessarily talking about the excruciating pain that Jesus went through. We've done a lot of studies like that. What I would like to do instead is consider what the cross was all about, what really happened at the cross. The Romans were good at crucifying people. They crucified them by the thousands. The word excruciating comes from the cross, literally. When we use that term, that was excruciating. We're looking back to the cross. Early Christians were mocked because they believed in a God who died on the cross. The cross was something that was shameful. Remember, the Bible even tells us that the people in the world see the foolishness that's in the cross, but you and I are saved by the work of the cross. Jesus even talked, the Bible even says in Hebrews chapter 12 that Jesus endured the pain despising the shame that was on the cross. And early Christians were literally mocked because they believed in somebody who had been crucified because it was a shameful thing to die on the cross. I think that's something that you and I, in our culture, we really can't grasp because Jesus is such a hero to us. But for someone to die the death of a cross was a shameful thing for them in those days. And many in the Roman Empire mocked Christians because they believed in a God that went to the cross and who died there. Now, I quickly want to talk about the cross itself. As I said, this is a little bit different kind of a study. I want to talk about the actual cross itself. Because every so often you guys have the Jehovah Witnesses who will knock on your door. They will bring up different topics with you. One of the topics that they will bring up is paganism. When they get on the topic of paganism, they're going to talk about the cross. They're going to say that the word for cross in the Bible is the actual word for stake or actual word for pole. And that Jesus was not crucified with his arms outstretched, but he was crucified with his, his hands above his head. And I want to say, first of all, before we talk about this, that this means nothing to us theologically. If we were to die, get into heaven, and Jesus says, I was crucified on a stake, or we found out that Jesus was crucified on a stake or a cross, it changes nothing for us. There is nothing that changes. When they knock on your door, they're tugging, and they're talking about the cross, they're tugging on your heartstrings. The cross is a special sign to you. There's something about it when you see it, you are moved by it. There's something about it when you sing a worship song like we just did, that you are moved by it. But we don't worship the cross. We don't bow down before the cross. We worship our Savior who died on the cross. We are thankful for the work of the cross, but we don't worship it. So when they try to tell you that there's a difference between what the Bible says and what you believe the cross was, that doesn't really matter. I found my son, we used to live by, um, we, we lived right next to a kingdom hall. And I, I drove by and I saw my son with about 10 people outside. So my oldest boy had decided he was gonna go and witness to them. And they, of course, won't let him in, right? So they're all outside with him. And as I go to walk up, I think I'm rescuing him. He's like in 10th grade at the time. And I'm thinking I'm rescuing him. And I go up and I hear him say, what does it matter if Jesus was crucified like this or like this? Everything's the same. And I thought, my boy's okay. 
he's taking care of himself because in reality it doesn't matter but what they're going to try to say to you is that it was connected to pagan worship that pagan worship had some form of a cross and that that was adopted by the church but know this that just because some pagan group used a cross or something like a cross because it's not really the cross but it's something like the cross has nothing to do with what the cross means to you and me it is completely and totally disconnected they're going to try to make a connection if you simply say that's not where we get the cross from if you just simply stick to your guns and don't get upset about it, it's not, it's not a pagan symbol. Well, there are pagan groups that use it, but the fact that they use it means absolutely nothing to you and I, and to what Jesus was crucified means nothing to you and I. And so when they use the word, I think it's steros in the Greek, I'm not the best at, at Greek words, uh, but I think it's steros in the Greek, which means a pole, and they use the etymology, and they go back and they say, this is what the word meant, and, and then they say that that's what the word means. But that is a bit of a fallacy because when you look up the beginning of the word or the etymology of a word, it doesn't always stay the same. Words change. And then they'll quote experts that will, uh, Greek experts, to try to say that the word is a stake, but they literally misquote them. They literally partially quote them. And if you look at the quotes that they have, if you take your phone and you look up their quotes, you can read them the entire quote. They read one day, they, they quote one guy who says that the word is steros and it means a stake or a pole and they cut it off there. And if you pull up the quote, he says, and the Romans used these to crucify people and there were three shapes. There was the X shape, there was the capital T shape and there was the small T shape. It's in the very quote that they give you. We know how Romans crucified people. We know that they crucified them on poles, on fences, on structures on crosses, on X's, but we also know that most often Romans used a T-shaped cross to crucify people and that you and I can consider some of the things that the Bible has to say. Like when Jesus told Peter, when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands. And it says, thus he told Peter, signifying the way that he would die. So Peter was going to stretch out his hands and we know that he was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified like Jesus and he stretched out his hands. We also know that when they crucified people with their hands above their head that they used one nail to drive through the hands. And when Jesus told Thomas, look Thomas, where the nails were. Jesus uses the term nails for, it's plural, that there were nails and not just one nail. Also, the earliest artwork that we can find shows a cross. Like we have a cross. The earliest artwork shows a cross. And that is very, very powerful. And the early church fathers described what Jesus was crucified on as a cross. You never find anyone saying that it was a post or anyone showing any kind of artwork of Jesus being crucified on a post. The evidence for you and I that it wasn't a post, is very strong. But in 1931, the Jehovah Witnesses changed from a cross like we know it to a post. If you go and look at their uh, magazine, you can see on the upper left-hand corner, and to them, this is scripture, there's a cross on it, the cross and the crown that they used before 1931 when they made their change. And the reason that a cult has a change like this is because they have to have something that makes them distinguished from Christianity so that they can claim that they have the only right way and to get you to move from Christianity and into what they believe. 
and they are fairly good at doing what they do. And so I just wanted to give you guys this information so that when, you, when you're talking to someone who's at the door, you're able to talk about it a little bit, at least, and know this, that if by chance the oldest Christian artwork that we have is wrong, if by chance the early church fathers wrote about a T-shaped cross, but they were wrong, if by chance Jesus really said nail and not nails, if by chance telling uh, Peter that he was going to stretch out his hands wasn't a reference to crucifixion, if by chance any of those things, and we find out that Jesus was crucified on a post, a torture stake, as they like to say, then nothing changes for you and I. Nothing at all. But don't let them rob from you the sweetness of what the cross means to us. When we see a cross, it speaks of what Jesus did for us. We don't have anything invested in it theologically. We don't have anything invested in it eternally. It changes nothing for us. However, it changes everything for the Jehovah Witnesses who, pardon the pun, have staked everything on this. They have put it all up in this. And uh, if, you can, if you can begin to talk about some of the evidence and the fact that the experts say, even the experts that they quote, say that the Romans crucified on these three different kind of things and none of them were a torture stake. No doubt at some point, they crucified hundreds of thousands of people, the Romans did, for hundreds of years. And there's no doubt at some point they needed something and they crucified them on some kind of a stake. There's no doubt that that happened. It's just that it didn't happen regularly and that was not their practice. And the scholars will tell us this. All right, so with that out of the way, let's take a look at John 19. Let's look at verse 17. It says, and he, bearing the cross, went out to a place called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is Golgotha, where they crucified him. The Bible never really says much about the details of crucifixion. We're simply told that he was crucified. I think there's a reason for that because everyone had seen crucifixion. Everyone knew what crucifixion was. When it says that he went bearing the cross, he would have he would have carried the cross beam, what was called the patibulum, and he would have bore that, which would be around 80 to 100 pounds, and he would have bore that to the cross where they would have nailed it to him and put him up in place as he would hang there on the cross. And he went to a hill that is called Golgotha. We he learn here it's called the place of the skull. Aramaic is Golgotha, and that's what Jesus spoke in. He spoke in Aramaic. In Latin, the word is Calvary. And that's where we get Calvary Tucson from. We are thinking of the hill that the cross stood where Jesus was crucified. That's what Calvary Chapel is all about. That's what Calvary Tucson is all about. We are looking back to that hill. And I can't tell you how many people that I talk to who will tell me, they'll, they'll learn where I'm from and they'll say, boy, I, I've heard a lot of things, uh, good things about, I gotta make sure I say this right, uh, Cal Calvary, like we're on horses, like we're a bunch of people on horses. And, uh, and not Calvary, which of, of course is the place of the skull. It says, then they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. By the way, this fits perfect. Uh, they put above his head, it fits perfect on a T-shaped cross. 
if his hands were crucified above his head, it wouldn't have been high enough to be able to put a sign everybody could read walking by. So it is more evidence for the cross. But here, Pilate puts it on there, and, and, and that, he, he really does not like the Jewish leaders. And so he says, you brought me the king of the Jews to have crucified. And so he writes, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. And of course, he is truly the king of the Jews. He told Pilate that he was, but his kingdom was not of this world. Otherwise, his disciples would fight here, but it is of a different world. Verse 20 says, then many of the Jews read the title from the place where Jesus was crucified, well, for the place where Jesus was crucified, was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, in Greek, and in Latin. Therefore the chief priest and the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. Now the chief priests and the elders want to be an editor for Pilate. Don't write that, write this. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garment and made four parts of each soldier a part and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam woven from, from the top in one piece and said, they said therefore among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be that the scriptures might be fulfilled. They divided my garments among them. And this is a quote from Psalms 22. And Psalms 22 is an incredible prophecy. It is a first-person account of a, crucified, of a crucifixion. Not only that, it's a first-person account of a person who is crucified, who is dying for the Jewish people, for the nations, for the people who are not yet born. If you've never really read Psalms 22, go and study it. Take some time and read it slowly. And it is literally, I've, it starts off, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it ends with he has done this or it is finished. And I think that what we find in Psalms 22 is, the, is, is what was going on in the mind of Jesus from the time that he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, until he cried out, it is finished. And we see that he went through a struggle being in shock but that he finally rejoiced in all of the people who would be entered into heaven, even the people who were yet to be born. And it says in Psalms 22, they divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. It says in Psalms 22, they pierced my hands and my feet. They mock me, they surround me and they mock me. It is an incredible Psalm that speaks of the truth of the cross before crucifixion was ever invented. It goes on to say then, and for my clothing they cast lots, therefore the soldiers did these things. The soldiers did these things because they had to fulfill Scripture. God was using Pilate to put this plaque above Jesus' head that he was king of the Jews, using the soldiers to fulfill passages. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cloopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother, and the disciple whom he loved standing by, this is John. John refers to himself throughout the book of John as the disciple Jesus loved. And he's the only one of the disciples that made it to the cross. And he's the youngest of the disciples. And he's standing there with Mary, the mother of Jesus, who has seen her son crucified. And he says to her, he says, woman, behold your son. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother, and the disciple whom Jesus saw standing there, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to his disciple, behold your mother. 
And from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. Now, here we get to the sayings of Jesus from the cross. There are seven things that Jesus said from the cross, and I think that each one of those statements helps us to understand what's happening on the cross. I want to show you seven scriptures here in a few minutes about what was taking place on the cross, but these seven things Jesus said, they, of course they are significant, of course they are meaningful, and they help us to understand the cross. The first thing, I'm going to give them to you in kind of an order here. The first one is, Father, forgive them. When they took Jesus out, Jesus said, no man takes my life from me, but I lay it down. I believe that Jesus stretched out his hands on that cross. They didn't have to fight him to stretch out his hands to drive the nails in. And, and from that time, the Bible says that he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. To the men who were crucifying him, he began to pray. And in the Greek, it's in the continual, meaning he prayed it over and over again. I'm sure this detachment of men had crucified many people. And I'm sure they heard all kinds of things. I'm sure that they had been begged. They had been begged by people to let him go. They'd been bribed to let him go. I have some money. I can pay you. Just let me go. Just don't do this. There's anything, screaming, hollering, cussing, all kinds of things. But never had they had someone say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And of course, this speaks of what the cross is all about. The Bible says that Jesus's blood paid for the sins of all the world not just for the elect, not just for people who would end up being saved, so that anyone who, anyone who would come to Christ could be saved, anyone at all, because he went to the cross in order to give forgiveness. And if he can crucify the very men that are driving nails through his flesh and into that tree, then he can forgive you and he can forgive me and he can forgive anyone who could come to him. The second statement upon the cross was one of the, thieves that was crucified with him, said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. How did that thief know that there was, that he had a kingdom? Because there was a plaque above Jesus's head that said, King of the Jews. Maybe while they were being crucified, he noticed it. And so there on the cross, he said, remember me when you come into the kingdom. And of course, Jesus said, I tell you the truth today, you will be with me in paradise. I love that Jesus calls heaven paradise. You and I will never find paradise here on earth, but we are going to paradise. Adam and Eve were created and they were placed in paradise, the Garden of Eden, and we know that we are going to the Garden of God for all of eternity. And he said, today you will be with me in paradise. And then, of course, we just read woman. Oh, and by the way, of course, you have a salvation on the cross, right? You actually have an example of someone who is being saved on the cross, someone who didn't know God, who asked him uh, that he would be remembered and then who was invited into all of eternity. So we have an example on the cross of how you are saved. You are saved by receiving him. You are saved when you say something like, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Lord, I want you in my life. There's no magic words. There's a point of faith where you say, I want to invite Christ into my heart and I want to begin to live for him. And if you are sincere and you are honest and God can tell these kind of things, right? You can't fool God. People can be fooled, but God can't. If you are sincere and honest, when you invite Jesus in, then you can be saved. And part of that took place on the cross, that your sins were placed upon Jesus on the cross. And so there's an example of getting saved by a man who dies on the cross. 
Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.